This is Psalms to God, Season 3, Episode 6, Whitewashing in the Bible. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. I am black and beautiful, you daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has tanned me. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, in ASB. And once again, we're going to deviate from the planned programming. Um, I have lots of ideas for common knowledge, but it seems like every week it gets preempted by something else that the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart. So we're going to go with his schedule instead of mine and just see how this goes. And eventually we'll get back to talking about all of these other things. So today we're going to talk about whitewashing in the Bible. Um, I've been sharing passages pertaining to this topic on my Instagram all month, um, primarily because it's Black History Month and I do feel like it is significant in Black culture and it is a major conversation that is happening in Black Christian circles or to be honest in the circles of Blacks who are leaving the church because they feel like it's the white man's religion. And that's one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about this topic and why I feel like it's important to call it out and to call a spade a spade, essentially. Um, And so I want to talk about what the Bible actually says and what people have been teaching and what people have been kind of picking up by osmosis. A lot of this comes from the fact that after Christianity was hijacked by Rome, it spread into Europe and the Europeans are the one who took it to the world essentially. And they made it for themselves. And during the time that it was basically, I don't wanna say festering, but essentially while this pagan version of Christianity was bubbling over and brewing in Europe, um, this is when they had like the Renaissance and you had painters like Da Vinci and Michelangelo and all of these people start to paint their ideas of the Bible. And what you got is a bunch of flying humanoid white babies and adults that with wings that they call angels. That's not how angels are described in the Bible. Um, angels are described in Ezekiel and it actually sounds kind of more like a horror story than what they show, but it's definitely not what they've painted. Um, And then you also got things like The Last Supper, this random white dude that they say is Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's not what he looked like. Some random hippie looking dude. I don't know who that is. Um, But all of these images started to become very prominent. And because Roman Catholic... Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, 
um, is a blend of paganism and Christianity. They allowed these images in the church, even though the second commandment says that we shouldn't be having these types of images. Um, they allowed it into the church and they started kind of endorsing the idea that this random white woman was Mary and that this random white man is Jesus and that this white baby is Jesus and that these white feathered winged beings are angels when none of it's true. Um, but that is what they presented to the world and that is what people ingrained in their brain and it's been around for centuries and so that's what people think. So you show people this picture of this man and they'll be like, yeah, that's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus, but that's what comes to their minds. And then all the way into modern depictions via um, the old movies starring like Charleston Heston, like the Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, to newer things that they've made. Um, they made Noah, they, they've made a couple of things where they did like the Bible series. Um, and it's just white people. And they would have you believe that all of these people, all of these characters, that the Bible is about white people. But it's not, okay? Without being controversial at all, the Bible is about people who lived in what we call the Middle East. So if anything, they would be closer to Arab people, what we expect Arabs to look like. And while I have seen people who are Arab that pass for white, this is also 2021 where, again, the Romans and uh, the Greeks and all of these people have gone into that region and conquered and been conquered and there has been intermarriage and intermingling. Just like I have African ancestry, but my people have been here in the United States for centuries and clearly some white people somewhere popped up in my family line and that is why I am this complexion and not darker same concept um but if you go back in time the people who would have been in that region would have definitely been brown not white and even if you go in that region today you will see a lot more brown people than white people many of the people that i've met from that region um, like i said i have met people who pass for white but i've also met a lot of people from that area that look a lot more like me than they do like, I don't know, say Christian Bale who was playing an Egyptian for some reason, right? So these are the types of things in our media that promote and spread this ideology. But the reason that this was so rampant and the reason it was crucial for the early Americans is because they used it to enforce this idea of superiority and inferiority amongst races. Now, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as race, okay? You had tribes, you had family groups, people groups. Like the Israelites are descendants from Israel. Israel being the name that God gave Jacob. It's a person, it's a bloodline. The same thing, the Edomites are descendants of Edom, also known as Esau. The Canaanites descended from Canaan, right? The Egyptians, well, would be Mizraim. His name was Mizraim. If you go into the Middle East, they don't call it Egypt over there either. So, but they're descended from a specific person, right? The Jaff, the Japhethites, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Japheth was one of, um, uh, naming all the wrong people right now. I don't know what's going on in my head. Noah had three sons. One was Japheth. He went into Europe. One was Ham. He stayed in Northern Africa and 
you know, spread into Africa. When I say Northern Africa, I also include the Middle East. And then you had Shem who stayed also in the Middle East and spread into Asia. And each, this is where you start getting like different groups. And then of course, different family groups. Like I said, you had Abraham's line, which eventually turned into the Israelites. But out of that, you also got the Ishmaelites, which would be the Arabs of today. Um, but also in that region, you had the Canaanites, which were from the Hamites. All of this information is found in Genesis 10 when you read. It's roughly called the Table of Nations. It talks about the descendants of these people, and this is how they get their names and their tribes. And so um, really, it was more like nationalism or familyism or tribalism, if you will. Um, but there wasn't this idea of a black person and a white person and, you know, and, 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 and all of this type of things like that. That's not how they categorized people in the Bible. And definitely there wasn't necessarily this idea that, oh, you are black, therefore you're inferior. But white people needed that in order to enslave people and to justify slavery on the basis of race. Now I point this out because slavery has existed throughout time, but slavery was not about race before the transatlantic slave trade. Previously, slavery was about poverty and about um, conquering and things like that. So this nation conquered that nation and they took the people as slaves or I have no money, I have no way to make money, so I sell myself into slavery because they didn't have food stamps or soup kitchens or welfare or Section 8 housing or any of those things for people. And so that a lot of the things that white Americans used to justify slavery were basically falsifications of the word and trying to make it seem like black people were supposed to be in slavery. Now, before we go really deep into this, I want to point out the first verse I ever read in the Bible that clued me into the fact that something was not right about these pictures. You can find it in Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses five and six. In this verse, um, we find out that the bride that Solomon is marrying or the groom, if you want to argue that the groom is not Solomon, but I think it is. Um, he is marrying someone who describes herself as dark or black. Now, interestingly, depending on what text you read, you'll get a different word here. Some translations render the word as black and some render it as dark, but it doesn't matter. If you go back and look at the Hebrew word, it could mean dark, it could mean black. It, okay, whatever. You tit for tat, it really means black, but I, you can give them some leeway. Okay, maybe they didn't really lie when they changed it to the word dark. But if you read the whole sentence, it says, I am dark like the tents of Kedar. Well, if you go research the tents of Kedar, they were made with black hair. So it means black. She was black like the tents of Kedar. Um, and then she goes on to further talk about the fact that it's because the sun has gazed on her. Now, it's interesting because this passage, I've never heard a sermon about this passage, but it speaks so much, 
so, so much to things that happen today. Not only does it identify this woman as not being white, it also starts talking about colorism. Now, as an American, when I think about colorism, it's very specific to America, which has to do with racial injustice, um, intermixing of races, preferential treatment based on your skin color and things like that, which we could go on for days and days about colorism and the history of colorism and proximity to whiteness and how personally I think there is a difference in just being light-skinned versus being light-skinned with a white parent. Um, but that is a video and a podcast for another day because that would probably be a whole nother long conversation. And I really don't want to talk about that. Um, I want to talk about what we're seeing in the word of God. But I did want to point out that there is ties to colorism and that there is a difference in the colorism that occurred or occurs, I should say, because it still happens um, in the U.S. and the colorism that was festered around the world. Sometimes colorism is about white supremacy. And that's what happens in the United States. This is about proximity to whiteness and acceptance and things like that. However, there is also a form of colorism that has to do with classism. Um, and that's not talked about as much in the United States because it wasn't really the situation here. Whether I go out in a field and work for hours or I don't, I'm still going to be this, I'm still going to be dark compared to the majority of which is the white population. However, as somebody who did used to work at a water park, I can thoroughly tell you that when I worked at the water park, I would get a lot darker than I am now that I sit inside all day. And that is a lot of the premise in cultures where there was an economic issue, where people were technically the same race. Um, there wasn't quite as much diversity in skin shade based on your birth. However, your complexion was a reflection of your occupation. Rich people could afford servants to do things for them. They could afford somebody to stand there and hold a shade over their head. They could afford um, a, a coachman or someone to, to, you know, to drive the stagecoach while they sat inside. They could afford for someone else to plant their vineyards and harvest their crops while they sat inside. So they would become pale or they would be lighter in complexion. And those who worked outside would be darker. If you've heard the phrase coloring of a farmer, right? Um, that was a derogatory phrase that people would use because it was in reference to the fact that you were in the sun all day. And if you continue reading the passage in Song of Solomon, she actually says that she was made to work in the vineyards. And I honestly personally think that what is being discussed here is her economic station, right? King Solomon is a king. He is royalty. He's supposed to be marrying princesses, but a woman who has been working in the fields is probably not a princess because a princess would have servants that work in, a princess would never be working. So she's dark and all of the other people were like, where did, where did he get her from? She is clearly a peasant, right? It's, it's a marker of the fact that she is a peasant. But throughout, this, um, 
Song of Solomon, you start to see hints that he is also dark. So if you go deeper in, um, I don't have the verse handy, but I will definitely put it in the show notes so you can see exactly where I'm getting this reference from. She goes on to describe him and she describes his head as being like gold. Um, gold is not necessarily synonymous with, you know, the dark, rich browns that I think of when I think of African complexions. However, it's definitely not what I think of when I think of a white person either. It's, it's definitely closer to brown or tans or bronze. Um, that when I hear somebody being described as gold, like they have a golden complexion. Furthermore, she continues and says that his hair is like a cluster of dates. Now, as a child, I had no idea what a cluster of dates looked like because dates don't grow in South Carolina. However, now that I live in South Florida and I walk by these palm trees all the time, I see clusters of dates all the time and it looks a lot closer to my hair than white hair, like the straight hair. It's it's very curly looking. And I don't mean Taylor Swift curls, I mean kinky curls, kinky curly hair. Um, and so it does seem like she's describing someone with Afro textured hair and not the, you know, European standard-ish hair. So there are lots of hints within this book that suggest the people that are being talked about looked a whole lot closer to me than to these paintings that we have been subjected to for the last few centuries and millennium. So from there, um, I want to take us back to Genesis because once you start thinking about it, you really have to go back to the beginning and follow the story forward and see what there is to see. At the beginning, we have Adam and Eve. And again, there are plenty of paintings out here where they depict them as being a white couple. But genetically speaking, it is impossible for Adam and Eve to be a white couple. Have you ever seen two pure white people? And I put, I, I, I say pure, loosely because in 2021 nobody is pure anything okay we all mixed up there's no getting around that but people who do not have african ancestry or or you know native american first nations ancestry or um indian ancestry in their direct lineage or even asian anything other than just european People who are European back into the dark ages or whatever. If you take two of these people and they produce a baby, that baby is going to be white. They are not going to have a brown baby. They're not going to have a baby that looks like me. However, two African people can very well have a white baby. That's very possible. When you look at the continent of Africa, you can easily see the diversity of the African genetic makeup. Even within Africa, you have people with naturally blonde hair. There are tribes where people have naturally blue eyes, even though they are dark skinned and African all the way back. These traits can come from Africa or from African people. 
And the reason is because of dominance versus recessive traits. So for instance, take blue eyes. Blue eyes are a recessive trait. If you have two people with blue eyes, they only have that recessive trait. That's the only way you can have blue eyes is if you have only recessive traits. So if you take two blue-eyed people, they will have blue-eyed babies because that's really all that's possible. I, on the other hand, as a person with brown eyes, I could have a blue-eyed baby even though I have brown eyes because I could have one dominant trait and one recessive trait, or it's a little bit more complicated than that. But in simplistic terms, that's how it works. And in fact, if you go through my family tree and you go look at some of my family members, I do have family members that have blue eyes and that have green eyes. And that is why you will often find black people with these traits. For instance, I wanna think Rihanna has like green eyes. It's not uncommon. I also have a friend that I went to in school that had green eyes. Actually, I have a couple of friends that had green eyes or blue eyes. And some of them were darker than I am, some of them were lighter than I am, but it's very easy for that to happen. Even if I marry another black person, there is, I actually cannot predict to you what my child would look like, which is a statement of what Adam and Eve must have looked like because all of humanity came from them. That being said, white people needed a reason to believe that they were actually white. They needed this to stick and obviously as science progressed and as you actually look at the world and use your common sense, um, you know that this is not possible. So they had to come up with some kind of logic um, to make this fit. And the things that they started coming up with are absolutely horrific, wild, and ridiculous, but they did it. So they came up with this concept of the curse of Ham. The curse of Ham doesn't exist. The non-existent curse of Ham. Um, and they tried to say that actually blackness came from this curse, that, that blackness was a sign of a curse. Unfortunately for them, that falls apart really, really quickly because like I said, there is no curse of Ham. There is a curse on Canaan, Canaan being Ham's youngest son. Now, Canaan is cursed, but the rest of Ham's family is fine. And interestingly, Canaan is not the one you would really associate with blackness. So if you, again, look in Genesis 10 and follow the table of nations, you will see where Ham's sons um, settled. Canaan settled in the land of Canaan which is where Israel eventually becomes a nation. Um, there was this whole thing between the Canaanites and the Israelites. So he was in the same area as the Israelites. It is Ham's other children that end up in Africa. That would be Cush, Mizraim, and Foot or Put. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. And so it's interesting because you're even if you try to scale it back and be like, well, we said Ham, but really it's Canaan, blah, 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 it still doesn't hold water. What's even more interesting about this fictitious curse of Ham um, is that the curse of Canaan, I mean, even in its wording, it, it doesn't say the things that they tried to make it say, but Canaan intermarried with the Israelites. So, 
the Israelites were told not to marry the Canaanites, but they did anyway. And I'm not talking about eventually after they resettled in the land, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about from the jump. From the jump, they started marrying the Canaanites. Part of the dialogue when you hear about Jacob and Esau, Esau has married a Canaanite woman and his parents aren't happy about it, which is part of why they want Jacob to go back to Abraham's country to take him a wife from there. But then even as you come out of that, Jacob has his sons and you find uh, Judah, which is where we get the word Jew and Jewish because that is the tribe that we're still um, that was left after the Babylonian captivity. So you had the Assyrian captivity in the north that took away most of those tribes. And then the Jew Jews um, descending from the tribe of Judah, which were taken into the ba Babylonian captivity, are the ones who came back and repopulated the land. Judah, his entire lineage is from him and a Canaanite woman, okay? That should tell you that there is Canaanite blood in the Israelites. So again, the people you're depicting, if you take a African person, if you take a brown or a black person, even if they married a white person, even if you assumed that Judah was white, if he married this Canaanite woman, they had a brown baby. So his lineage becomes brown. That's how dominant traits work, okay? But it wasn't just Judah. We also find out his brother Joseph married an Egyptian. So Joseph gets taken off into Egypt. He spends a lot of time there. He ends up marrying an Egyptian. He has two sons. Instead of calling it the tribe of Joseph, they often break it into these two tribes, the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim, which are his sons. They are half Egyptian, right? So there is a whole lot of Hamite blood in Israel. They were always mixing up with other people. And personally, I believe that they looked mixed race, if that makes any sense um, in our current vernacular, um, to try to give a picture. Because I, like I said, they mixed with a lot of people. They were, they, they were not very much about like, oh, we're only gonna stick with the Israelites. Um, they were not nearly as exclusive as, um, you know, some ultra orthodox Jewish sects may be today. They were okay with marrying the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Persians, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians. You will see evidence of this throughout the Bible. And you will also see, um, we're going to get into how they're mistaken for other groups throughout the text. And so I, and then when you also use logic, um, in terms of geography, Israel set in the middle of a trade route. People coming from Asia and, and, and India into Africa or into Europe had to go through Israel. People going from Africa to these places had to go through Israel. People coming from Europe south had to go through here. And so they were basically uh, you know, a hotbed for this intermingling. Um, and so I think they probably had a very multicultural looking population, if that makes any sense. I think the skin tones were probably varied. The hair textures were probably varied. That's what I think they looked like. But let's get back to 
Egypt, right? Because I told you, Joseph married an Egyptian woman. And I think it's important to come back to Egypt because Egypt is another culture that they typically try to whitewash and show as being white. But the Egyptians were not white either. And they are not white. In fact, um, I went to school with a girl who is Egyptian and she was the same color I am. And that's here in 2021 after the Romans and the Greeks and everyone else has gone into Egypt and conquered and intermingled and intermarried with the people. Um, and they're still brown. They're still brown. They were not white. They were definitely not white during Moses's era or during Joseph's era or even during Jesus's era. And it's interesting because Egyptian is one of the things that they get confused for the most. And by they, I mean the Israelites. So one of the first examples is in fact Joseph. So Joseph is in Egypt, his brothers come down because of the famine and they don't recognize him. That in itself is not strange, um, particularly I, you know, he was young when they sold him off. He's probably grown some facial hair, his voice done changed. You know, maybe he's gotten taller, um, you know, maybe he's gotten like broad shoulders now. Like it's very easy when I see guys that I grew up with and the last time I saw them, they were like 16 and now they're in their 20s, 30s or whatever. There is there can be stark differences. So I'm not that surprised that they didn't recognize him, but they don't think that he speaks their language. They think that he only speaks whatever language the Egyptians speak. And it's not odd to him, he doesn't stand out. <clears throat> so for instance, as a black person, if I were to take a trip to Japan and I get to Japan and there is a African American standing in the middle of Japan, my first thought would be like, oh, hey, are you, are you American? Now he may have been born and raised in Japan, but the chances are a lot slimmer. And I would automatically be like, hey, you look like me. Right. There are just certain things when you go into an area where you have a mostly homogenous group of people, then something stands out to you. Right. Like something that's different would stand out to you. Similarly, um, I would stand out in, I don't know, Finland or something like that. Like I like they have black people there. But there's very few of them. You wouldn't just assume like, hey, you were born and raised in Finland, even though you could have been. So when the Israelites, his brothers, are coming into Egypt, they don't seem to notice that he is Hebrew, that he's one of them. And it never occurs to him, maybe he speaks our language, even though they don't know he's Joseph. This doesn't occur to them. He blends in with everybody there. So that tells you that they had to look somewhat similar. A example, a more modern example, I guess, is that if I went to Brazil, as long as I don't open my mouth, I could very much pass for somebody who is Brazilian. The same thing in uh, a lot of like Latin American countries, I've seen many Afro-Latinas that look like me. I could go somewhere like the Dominican Republic and people may not realize that I am actually American as long as I don't open my mouth. And that's what I mean by the fact that they had to look similar. Otherwise, something alarm bells would have went off. We see this again with Moses. So 
Moses is one of the Hebrew children that was supposed to be killed. Now, when Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the basket, she knows because she's finding him in a basket in the river. She realizes what's going on, but she decides to spare him. Ask yourself, when she shows up with this baby, what did she tell her father? And he's out having all of the Hebrew children killed. Why would he spare this Hebrew child? If he could look at the child and see that this was a Hebrew baby. I mean, imagine if, again, putting this into white and black terms because it's the strongest contrast. If during slavery, they were killing all of the black males. And so you have this white plantation owner, he's killing all of the black males and his white daughter goes and takes a black baby and says, I'm gonna raise it as my own. He's gonna know that's definitely not her baby. He's going to know that something, that this is one of the babies that was supposed to be killed in his decree. Why would he say she could keep that baby? Why would he kill that one too? That sounds crazy. Like the only way this works is she brings in a white baby that looks like, you know, it looks like it could be a white baby. And she's like, yeah, my, you know, my friend had a baby and I decided I wanted to keep it. Or she was pregnant and miscarried and passes it off as her own baby. Like that's, that's really the only way it really makes sense. And if you continue down the story, when Moses leaves, I mean, somehow Moses realizes that he is actually Hebrew, whether it's because his mother tells him, whether he knew the whole time, we don't really know. The Bible isn't very clear about that. But when he leaves and he goes back into Midian, which again is back in this land of Canaan, um, and the Midianites are also Hebrew descended through Abraham's third wife, well, second wife, third baby mama. Um, the Midianites think that Moses is Egyptian. They're like, this Egyptian man helped me. They did not say this Hebrew man helped me. They knew that they thought he was Egyptian too. So there is something about the Egyptians and the Israelites where it's very hard to distinguish one from the other. This happens again in the New Testament with Paul. They think that Paul is an Egyptian and he's like, no, I'm a Jew, right? There is this mistaken identity. And like I said, they had to look somewhat similar. There's something happening where this culture is intermingled and they have trouble delineating Hamites from Semites. They look the same. And this is evident throughout the word of God. So those are, you know, some of the points that I started to see and was like, oh, wow, this is, this is real, right? There, they could not have been just white and you start to see that they were brown and that there was intermixing. Um, and that makes this entire concept of the curse of Ham uh, even more bizarre. But we ain't done yet. Guys, I'm, I'm, I don't even think I'm gonna be able to get into everything because this is already getting super long, but I do wanna put this extra bit in and I wanna put a disclaimer before I add this because I find it, the, the whole thing is ironic 
and it's interesting, but I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm about to say and use it to be um, exactly what was put against us, right? So white supremacists came up with this idea that we were black because of a curse. Um, I don't want you to take what I'm about to say and be like white people are cursed and they are diseased and all of this other stuff. That's not what I'm saying at all in this next bit just a disclaimer okay this is not about any group being superior or inferior this is just about what is actually written in the word of god so as we mentioned there was this idea amongst white people um, that spread throughout white protestant churches and probably within the catholic church as well um, that black people were cursed there is only one time in the Bible where God actually curses someone or a prophet curses them. I can't remember the exact detail, but a person is cursed and it manifests as a physical mark that changes the color of their skin. And their skin does not turn black, it turns white. You can find this story in 2 Kings chapter five it starts out talking about a man who has leprosy and it goes into how he is healed and then there is another man named gehazi who is greedy and does things to anger god and he is subsequently cursed with leprosy he and all of his descendants and the thing that they leave us with is that he went out white as snow and interestingly, if you follow leprosy throughout the Bible, it's very easy to see that the leprosy discussed in the Bible is not the leprosy that we talk about today. And Bible scholars will also agree that it's not the same thing. The leprosy discussed in the Bible is often accompanied with this description of somebody becoming white as snow. You can see this again in uh i think it's in numbers numbers chapter 12 verse 10 you will see this description about miriam who is moses's sister she is being punished for something she has said to moses um and again she is cursed with leprosy and it says that she turns white as snow moses himself it doesn't specifically say that it's leprosy but when God is showing Moses the miracles to perform in front of Pharaoh, it says that he sticks his hand in his cloak and then he pulls it out and it becomes diseased. It becomes white as snow. And then God tells him to put it back in the cloak and pull it out again. And then it goes back to matching his skin. So there is this correlation with leprosy and whiteness. Again, like I said, I'm not saying that's how white people today came about. I do think it's a different type of whiteness. Um, however, I find it ironic that they tried to put the curse as being blackness when the only curse that's actually mentioned is closer to whiteness. Um, that being said, I also wanna point out that for Moses's hand to be white and then turn like to turn white it, it wasn't white before um, and I want to point out that he was doing this in front of Pharaoh and while Moses knew Pharaoh because he was raised as an Egyptian um, traditionally 
you could not get but so close to the royalty. Um, even, you know, I mean, you see this in the book of Esther. Esther has to get permission to approach the king, even though that's her husband, right? And that's pretty much true today. Like, I can't just walk up to the president of the United States all willy-nilly. Like, you're going to have to go through a lot of security clearances and a lot of things to be able to get close to someone because they don't want you to kill them. So Moses, when he addressed Pharaoh, would have been at some distance. So we can't talk about minimalist changes like, you know, you are kind of a tannish white person and your hand turned pale white because that wouldn't be visible from a distance. However, the darker you are, the easier it is to see that contrast um, with his hand turning white and his arm being, you know, a, a rich brown color. And so I think the fact that that is what he used as a sign is also indicative that they had pigment to their skin. Now, like I said, we could go on for days. There is so much more that I have written down. Some of the stuff I've already skipped over just in the interest of time. Um, I do want to leave you with a couple of things to further dig into. I mentioned hair a little bit earlier. Um, I would also advise you to go look further into hair. For instance, Jesus's hair being described like wool. Um, and also in the New Testament, um, there, I think it's Paul is writing to Timothy and he's talking about women braiding their hair in ornate styles. And yes, every culture had braids and does braid, but when you start talking about ornate braiding and when you start thinking about hairstyles and, and culturally, that goes way heavier into African culture. We like our, our texture of hair um, is more conducive for doing intricate braiding styles and things like that. And it's also a protective styling. Um, it helps us to maintain our hair. So it's a lot more likely that it's following that tradition than European. Like, can you ever imagine needing to tell European women, you know, I just wanna make sure that you don't go crazy braiding your hair into ornate styles. Like when in history has that ever been a necessity, right? Like. So I, I think um, these are things that I would uh, encourage you to read and look into. Also descriptions of the throne room and of God and of Christ in general, also of the angels because they don't match the pictures and definitely looking into references. If you want to just go to the Bible online and do a control F for the word bronze and look at how that plays in, I highly advise you to do that as well. Um, those are just a couple of things. There's probably even more that I'm just blanking on at the moment. But essentially, I wanted to do this episode to show you that the Bible is a lot more culturally diverse than people like to give it credit for. Um, and that the main characters, the main stars of the text probably looked a whole lot closer to me than these paintings that they have hanging up in the Sistine Chapel and all over Europe. And it's important for us to talk about it, not because race is a central point of our life, not because it should be, um, or because that's what God wants or that he wants to divide us by color, but because there were serious injustices carried out in the names of these false doctrines and because they continue to plague our church and continue to shape the views, particularly of like white evangelicals today. 
And so I wanted to do this episode to bring some clarity and to shed some light on this topic. Hope it was edifying. Uh, let me know in the comments if you have questions, if you have other topics that you would like me to cover. And um, yeah, I think that's everything. I will see you guys next week. Bye.